Mother Earth is psychedelic. Her body is covered with psychoactive, sacred medicine. Can psychedelics help us become more conscious and loving parents, partners, lovers, and leaders? Welcome to the Psychedelic Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Carlin, the Psychedelic Mom, a mother and entrepreneur partnering with Mother Earth's sacred plant medicines to heal, awaken, and learn to live in alignment to my truth. Psychedelic literally means soul revealing. What reveals the soul to oneself is psychedelic. I invite you to join me in deep conversations with leaders, healers, seekers, and other parents. I will share my journey, the wisdom, practices, medicines, and mistakes that have changed my life, and personal stories of others on this wild path. We are the medicine needed to birth the more beautiful world we know is possible. Welcome back to the Psychedelic Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Carlin. Today, we're going to be talking about Ibogaine. Ibogaine is one of the alkaloids that comes from the root bark iboga. Iboga is from Gabon, Africa, and many believe that it is one of the most powerful healing plants in the world. I believe you're going to be hearing a lot about Ibogaine over the next 10 years. There's a huge demand for Ibogaine in the West due to our epidemic of addiction. It was Howard Lutzoff in the United States that discovered that Ibogaine could be used to heal addiction, and it was kind of a fluke situation. Howard was experimenting on himself with a lot of different substances, including heroin. And one of his friends, who was a chemist, handed it to him one day and he said, try this, it's Ibogaine. And he told him it would take about seven hours for Ibogaine to come on. So Howard had a therapy session that day and he took Ibogaine, thinking it would be hours before it came on. But right when he got to his therapist's office, he started to see wild visions and he told his therapist to start to take notes. The fascinating thing was, a couple days later, Howard realized he had no cravings for another drug that he had been taking, heroin. Howard shared Ibogaine with some of his friends who had also used heroin. They also had the same experience, no withdrawal and no craving. Howard spent the rest of his life trying to get Ibogaine reclassified in the United States and looked at as a drug that could potentially heal addiction. He wasn't the first one to use Ibogaine. Ibogaine was used in France in the early 1900s. But in the United States, Ibogaine is mostly being talked about and spoken about as a healing tool for resetting the brain, for addiction recovery, and sometimes even traumatic brain injury. So I invited Talia Eisenberg on, who has her own recovery story from addiction. And after going to multiple centers in the United States, some of the best recovery retreat centers and clinics, she finally made her way to Ibogaine. And then her path took her to being the co-founder of Beyond. Beyond is a San Francisco and Mexico-based company offering psychedelic-assisted therapy and treatment with the use of Ibogaine to people with addiction and also who want to use Ibogaine for optimization. So she shares her story and kind of the miracles that she sees at Beyond. 
We also talk about some of the other modalities that she's using alongside Ibogaine at her clinic, including ketamine and MDMA, energy healing, and other things. Talia is a mother who's, I think, eight months pregnant. We were happy that she didn't deliver in this on this episode. So I'm so grateful that she came to share her story and what she knows about Ibogaine. Enjoy this episode. So hi, Talia. Welcome here today. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to hear about your work at Beyond and how you got here. So I'm just curious, I know that you are at Beyond and you're working with people now that have addiction issues, recovering also from PTSD, and there's many uses for this medicine Ibogaine, and that you came into this space from having an addiction yourself, and now you are the co-founder of Beyond. Can you tell me a little bit about that journey? Yes, it's been quite the journey. It started... Like many people, I guess, family dynamics, I think I always sort of felt like I didn't fit in my own skin and had a lot of questions about what I was doing here, what we're all doing here. A seeker by nature, but also a sense of anxiety that I believe comes from probably both the environment I grew up in, which was fairly chaotic, but also my grandparents who are Holocaust survivors. And I've seen, you know, how my father has tried to navigate that. And, you know, today he has Parkinson's and he's, uh, so did my grandmother who survived Auschwitz. She had Parkinson's. So there's, of course, you know, psychologically screaming out in their sleep and how not resolving the underlying intergenerational trauma created from our family anxiety more than depression and you know when you have that type of anxiety and PTSD you tend to use things outside of yourself at first to try and heal yourself right the wrong medicine the wrong dosing at the wrong time we like to say it beyond this it's a symptom right trying to treat the underlying discomfort. And so by the time, you know, I'm 14 years old, I'm already trying Adderall and and not using it prescription-wise. And I developed an eating disorder, which gave me a certain rush and helped me feel okay, a sense of okayness. And then like millions of Americans, you know, about 15 years ago, it was very easy to be prescribed opiates. And I went for a very routine dental procedure, ended up being prescribed Vicodin. And um, honestly, I felt okay for the first time from this feeling. And, and I continued to use it and get more prescriptions. And you know, I was 17 or 18 at the time living in New York City. And it was also a very stressful environment there, right? Lots of commotion. Lots of pressure to succeed, and I dropped out of college, and I'm using opiates, and maybe things looked okay on the outside. I I started a small gallery on the Lower East Side where we had art shows, and there was a lot of socializing and some celebrities and things like that. It seemed glamorous. I was traveling a lot. I was... I'd be in India, I'd pick up codeine. You can get this stuff in other places in the world very easily, and before I knew it, I had a full-on bad habit by the time I was 
19, 20 years old. Very blessed that my family saw that I was on the decline and intervened. Part of the journey was I went to a number of very respected traditional rehabilitation centers in America, Hazelden, Sierra Tucson, Betty Ford, the best in the country. And, you know, I'm not going to knock it. I'm sure maybe it saved my life because it kept me away from buying opiates, illicit opiates off the street. However, I would leave after a couple of weeks and feel that my brain needed an opiate. I felt that it was a brain issue. No matter how much I wanted to stay sober or be off these drugs, I couldn't, right? And basically a friend, a dear friend, had done Ibogaine. This was in 2010 or 2011 in Mexico, and I ended up going, and I didn't think it would work. Well, I saw him, he looked great, and his life was totally transformed. So I, a part of me believed, but another part of me didn't. And I showed up, you know, an opiate addict, and um, a couple hours later, or 12 hours later, the cravings and the desire, the, the physical withdrawal that I had been through many times um, was not there, right? The obsession of the mind to get the opiate just to feel normal, and then the physical symptoms of diarrhea and restless legs and all that were, were pretty much ameliorated. So I thought, wow, this is a very powerful tool that's been placed on the planet maybe millions of years ago for this very unique time in history where there's an, the beginning of an opiate crisis. What we've seen over the last 15 years, you know, is, is basically millions have died or millions have been affected, right? Families. And then of course, so many people have died because of it. And then so many people are still living in active addiction and just suffering. So coupled, so that physiological piece coupled with the psychological piece that Ibogaine showed me was that I have a purpose here. And that's something we see with all of hundreds of clients now. They find their unique purpose. I have a purpose. My grandparents and family survived. Many of them were murdered, but they, my lineage, direct lineage survived so that I could be here and make a difference in the world. And I was able to find peace with that suffering and that I think a lot of the anxiety that I felt subconsciously as a child. So that, that was very powerful. The place I went to had no infrastructure, did not have the level of therapeutic coaching, support guidance, medical infrastructure at all that I would want for, for my friends. So essentially many years later, a group of us got together and said, let's build something for this unique time. The, there's, a, there's a crisis going on, not just for opiates, but you know we have a whole program for PTSD, mood and trauma, and that's an epidemic in itself as well. So, so we got the medical team, the therapeutic support, built the client care continuum. And then, of course, in a beautiful, comfortable setting. Uh, and that's why Beyond was created. But it took many years for me to get there. I married, became a mother, got my MBA in sustainability, have started a number of smaller wellness companies, and this has sort of been the cherry on top of my career thus far, and it's pretty magical to witness now hundreds of people, as I said, come through and, and get really profound, deep healing that lasts. Okay, I have so many questions. First of all, how many years have you been sober? 
Well, I don't really love, I, I know I used the term sober before, and I try to be careful with that term because it sounds like that it's, it's very black and white how recovery works and traditional recovery. But, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, you're not sober because you've worked with psychedelics over the last 15 years. I usually just say I'm, I've been opiate, alcohol, and stimulant-free for almost uh, 15 years. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah, it feels really good. And, and I think the point is there is that I don't engage in those things because it doesn't expand my consciousness. It takes me away from myself. It brings a lot of darkness to my psyche. And part of the vision I had during Ibogaine, the first Ibogaine treatment I did, was that I was poisoning myself and that I no longer was going to put poison into my body, that I loved myself. And so, yeah, I've been able to refrain from that, but of course have, you know, a big part of my journey. I mean, I went to traditional 12-step for a long time. I did Ibogaine first and then went into 12-step and I would share my story there and people would tell me I was crazy because they were, okay, there's a lot of beautiful meaning people. And then there's a lot of fear there as well. And so they would tell me that I was crazy. And I would say, well, this is my story. You asked me to share my story. But I always was also going, not always, but once a year, I would go to Peru and do a dieta and work with ayahuasca. And that was a big part of my healing as well. Not right away after I began, but a year or two after I started incorporating other psychedelics with one of the original PIs from the MAPS MDMA trial, who's also an incredible therapist, Marcella. I was blessed to find her, and you know, I was living in Boulder, that's where her office was, and was able to work with her weekly after I began and integrate and, and make a life plan and make a bunch of changes and spend time in nature and that was a big piece as well. So so yeah, do using all these different modalities of course, also somatic and energy work and, and over the last 15 years to bootstrap myself and, and find the weeds and the darkness, the, the thoughts that were not life-giving in my consciousness, the habits, which is Ibogaine's also great at the end of the day. It shows you your addictive thoughts, right? If you... One of the biggest addictions we have, right, is to our thoughts. Exactly. So I've, I've spent a lot of time looking, using mindfulness techniques to get space from thoughts, looking at them almost like a weed in the garden, weeds in the, in the garden of my mind and turning them over, you know, and using like Byron Katie's techniques. Is this true? Is this really true? And then shifting it to a higher thought. And, and I think I've been able to use all of these different tools together including parts of 12-step, you know, quite frankly, to change my reality, essentially. So when you were in the time of using opiates, what was your interior world like? Were you suffering? Were your relationships around you suffering? I would say externally it looked okay until it didn't. I would remember like going to Bond Street Sushi in New York City and falling asleep in my soup at a, a meeting for work. Yeah, I mean, I was hanging around with people that were also not treating themselves with respect. And it was vapid. You know, I, I thought that I had to fit into this sort of social scene in New York City. And I just felt very empty inside and probably 
suicidal, but if I didn't have these drugs, probably would have attempted that. So in some ways, they saved me from that. But yeah, I had no faith. I had a really hard time looking into people's eyes. I could feel everybody's suffering too. That was that was really tough. And um, yeah, I was living a shadowy life where I was buying drugs and just very unhappy and thought there was no way out. No way out. This is my life sentence. And I was blessed to have, you know, at the time, a really great boyfriend who (laughs) had never done a drug in his life and helped me and supported me and, and a few good friends, but had a lot of people around me that were not not great for me either. And, you know, had codependency issues and issues with my father that have been resolved, of course, and um, in ways, no boundaries, also traveling a lot whenever I wanted, not, not much structure. That's much different today, many years later. You know, these are things I didn't learn as a child that I've had to learn in recovery. Amazing work. And what I'm hearing is it's not one tool that Ibogaine is an incredible tool that reduces withdrawal significantly, has an ability to reduce the cravings for addiction, including alcohol, opiates, potentially some others, sex addiction, and also works at the root cause, which is the trauma. You mentioned your history of your family generational trauma from the Holocaust. Have you ever read that book, It Didn't Start With You? Yes. Yeah, that's really interesting because there's a scene in, there's a, a woman in that actually didn't even know she was Jewish, was having dreams of fires and ended up tracing her history and uh, really having a lot of depression. And it ended up, she was Jewish and it came from this generational and intergenerational trauma that she wasn't even aware of. So I'm curious, because Ibogaine comes from the root bark, aboga, an alkaloid from the root bark, and it's basically getting at the root cause of addiction, depression, PTSD, how would you say that understanding trauma plays into the role of healing with those that come to beyond? Well, we believe that trauma is at the root of everything and these other symptoms, whether it's addiction, behavioral or chemical, whether it's rage, whether it's an addiction, codependent relationships, whatever it is, these are symptoms, right? And trauma is at the core because you don't feel okay with yourself. You lack faith in your higher self or something bigger, whatever you want to call it because you are in fight or flight mode, right? The reptilian brain, I mean, these brain studies, the MRIs, there's just a Stanford study that came out that's quite incredible with the special ops at Stanford and Ibogaine showing, you know, most of these guys, they have TBIs and PTSD and and it actually shows how Ibogaine changes the brain even 30 days, 60 days, 90 days later for PTSD. So, yeah, I think it's typically at the root. Trauma is at the root. I believe that we experience trauma in the wound. Many experts speak about that. Our first big trauma is probably birth. You're separated. Especially the way we do it. The way we do it. And even if we didn't do it that way, and it was probably very loving and natural and 
you're squatting still and you're catching the child yourself like it was hundreds and hundreds of years ago. It's still the trauma of separation. I think that's the big illusion here on planet Earth if we want to get very spiritual. And I studied things like Course in Miracles and other things, but with this sense of separateness, right? I mean, we live on a dualistic planet. We come in here, we're one with our mother in the womb. It's warm, it's cozy. I'm, by the way, I'm eight months pregnant right now. And I'm. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And I think about that a lot, you know, being born into the cold air and being separated, that is a trauma. I mean, we're, we're all experiencing trauma and that's okay. It's part of our plight here. And I think it's part of our coming back to a wholeness of all walking each other home, as Ram Dass would say. It's part of the journey. As you're talking about the original wound that we're all wounded from is the idea of separation and ultimately not just from our mothers but from something much deeper something that's always here it's so simply always here but we we lose it you could call it life itself or the unbound or i mean there's no real name for it but i believe that a lot of psychedelics are that process of returning us to what's right here within us what's always right here but trauma really hacks the ability to be present in our bodies, to be present in the current reality. We're always in the past, we're in the future. And I think one of the beauties of these medicines is that return, that return to something deeper, something higher. A hundred percent. I think that these medicines, psychedelic medicines, help us experience death before we die. And that in that death process is the oneness, right? Is the returning to a sense of wholeness, like pre-birth. And I think what's unique about Ibogaine compared to the other psychedelic medicines, and I've worked with them all, is that it's very individual-based, it's very memory-based. Other medicines bring you out, for the most part. This works specifically on your memory system. Not everyone sees visions of their memory, but many see you know, a defrag of the mind, right? And you're carrying heaviness of past memories and we're constantly imputing the past and what, what's been traumatic and probably also things that have been joyful and wonderful onto the present. And first, however it works, Ibogaine sort of clears the sticky residue of these memories. So, you know, let's say you were... God forbid, it's very common. Many women have been sexually abused. They're in a new relationship. They're projecting or imputing that that could happen again on the present. And this guy's, you know, would never do that, let's say, but their relationship is having trouble. And we see this often. People want to get married, but they can't. And she's has this fear of violence or sexual abuse from the past. And it's it's blurring what is actually true in the present. And I again, I see it all the time with people. For whatever, it's not like you forget the memory. The memory is still there. The wisdom is still there. But the fear, the stickiness of what could happen because you're in a new relationship is gone. It loosens, uh, loosens the load, so to speak, which is incredible. So you get the, the memory, you get the wisdom, but you're not carrying the fear from the past. And that's how, I guess, one of the ways it helps heal uh, PTSD. 
besides the physiological mechanisms of, of action and all of that. Yeah, it's interesting. I was reading that to date, we don't have enough science to actually know how Ibogaine is working. Um, we have Dr. Ghoul Dolan's new work, which is fascinating. And you just mentioned it, that it looks like the brain is changed after Ibogaine for months after. She's talking about that critical period being open after Ibogaine for a month, which really goes into the importance of integration and the set and setting after you come out of medicine. But it's interesting that we still don't have true understanding of the mechanisms of how this alkaloid is working to, well, we were just talking about trauma, right? Trauma isn't what happens to you, but something that actually damages the brain. And so Ibogaine is doing something within the brain to reset the responses. So if we have like a traumatic response, when you were just mentioning a relationship, someone who had sexually abused is in a relationship now, and there's this trigger maybe around intimacy that is always there, Ibogaine can then kind of rewire. We keep using the word rewire. I don't know if that's how it's happening or it's the extracellular entire matrix of the body, but it's rewiring that patterning to like a reset. And I hear a lot of people talk about Ibogaine as a reset. Are you seeing that with the clients that come in there? Oh, 100%. I mean, just this morning, I talked to three people that had treatment yesterday and feel a complete release of fear. And yeah, so to, to speak to that months later, it continues to blossom and evolve this healing compared to other psychedelics that are out of your system pretty quickly. That critical period of learning the neuroplasticity, they're able to more easily integrate insights into their daily life because they, for whatever reason, you want to do better. You want to do things differently and you want to do things better. And so we see many, many people making incredible changes in their life. I could go on and on about some of the stories, but it truly does work. And it does give you the time afterwards to make these changes. Whereas I think sometimes people do ayahuasca very often. It's because they get the insights, but it's very hard to bring it into their life. So they want to go back and look through the window of insights, see the insight and try to catch it and integrate it. But it's more challenging. So people talk about Ibogaine as being a difficult experience, sometimes lasting 36 hours, 12 hours. I have only experienced Iboga, so I have not experienced Ibogaine. And I can speak to the defragging that you spoke of, which in some ways I almost wish I had known the first night. It was a two-journey retreat. And the first night I felt like I was watching a movie so fast I couldn't even grasp onto an image and sound from the movie that I couldn't even pick up. And then I kind of had an understanding after that was explained as like Ibogaine goes in and literally takes all the files of multiple things that have been the inputs from your life and just gets rid of what's there. And then you just talked about codependency. I didn't go to a boga thinking I had any addiction. I was curious. I was exploring. <laughs> and uh, it's an interesting medicine to take a, as an exploration. But what it showed me by a visceral, visceral experience of discomfort, a pattern of codependency. And in some ways, 
Iboga seemed to make it so uncomfortable that it was impossible to look away. I've often described it as grandfather putting his thumb on my Achilles heel and holding it there until I was like, okay, I won't look away. I won't look away. I don't even understand this yet, but I won't look away. How familiar is that experience with Ibogaine? It's incredibly familiar. I think what's interesting also about Ibogaine is that you're not losing touch with reality. You're in a lucid state so you can explore your ego and how it's constructed. You can see your patterning and you're working with it as a teacher. You're the student and it's showing you things that you can't look away from but things that are very much true. It's not a hallucinogen. Hallucinogens are made up not real outside of yourself. For me, I saw how certain men in my life were holding me back mm. in my early 20s and how I need, every time I would try to rise and, and make something of my life, they would take my energy basically and push me down. And I was stuck in this pattern with certain men and how to break free from that was very hard to look at because I was so enmeshed and tangled with certain family members and partners at the time, a partner at the time, that I couldn't imagine doing life on my own, right? And so it shows you those things, and they are true, and you can't avoid it. Even the days afterwards, it's not like you can just turn on Netflix. It's showing you some of the most challenging parts where you're incredibly selfish, maybe, as a form of survival. And it's painful and for a lot of people, and you cry. But it's also not as scary, I think, because you're not leaving reality. You know who you are, you know where you are. And so that piece needs to be demystified a bit more, the scariness of I mean, Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I do remember asking one of the beautiful helpers whether I could have melatonin. And he was like, why do you want melatonin? And I'm like, just so I can sleep later. And it was literally because I would have done anything to go back to sleep in that moment. I was like, not like melatonin was going to help me, but the discomfort, as you said, wasn't in a bad trip. It wasn't in visions that I didn't understand or scary visions of not knowing where I was. It was all very familiar. Like I saw people I knew from my life. And I think you're right. They talk about it being such a difficult, difficult experience. And I think for some people it can be. I do know that some people were there the same time I was there and experiencing what they thought was like the massive wounds of the planet, the horrors of some of the wounds of planet Earth. It's going to be different for every person. What are you holding in your consciousness and subconsciousness? That is what's going to come out, like a diarrhea of the mind for some people. And every consciousness, every mind is different. And so every experience is going to be different. But sure, I was talking to a man this morning who had a horrific experience. He saw all the wars in the world, whereas there was another woman who saw pure angelic realm. The reason she came was because she... She's trans and, and thought she's not beautiful. And the medicine showed her how beautiful she is both outside and, and inside and on stage. This is a woman who's a, a scientist and who speaks publicly a lot. And that's what she needed to see. And that's that what was, I guess, was held in her subconscious or the inverse of her ego. So yeah, it's, it varies for, from person to person. What I can tell you is 
typically for iboga, it's longer. You're taking the medicine multiple days in a row for ibogaine. It depends how fast you metabolize, but the visions are, are, are typically only four hours and the insights are another uh, four or five hours. And, and by eight or 10 hours, you're, you're back in your room. Typically, if you're, you're cardiac, everything looks good on the monitors. Yeah. So walk me through coming to a place like Beyond, and just so everybody knows it's Beyond without a Y, what it's like to come there, what the experience is, what you see. Yeah. I'm coming to Beyond, let's say. What what happens? So there's an intake that occurs first, uh, why you're coming, what your goals are. Is it a good match for you? You fill out, we have a HIPAA compliant form you fill that out with your health history. We're looking for any contraindications, of course, cardiac-related, uh, history of seizures, severe mental health diagnoses, of course, because you can't have breaks with reality that could make it worse. Suicidal ideation is, is a contraindication. Then you'll have a brief call with one of our physicians to talk through these topics. Any medications you're taking, SSRIs and SNRIs are... Uh, vary contraindication wise. So depending on, on what you're taking, you might need to get off of, of that and, and other medicines as well. So you would begin working with a therapeutic coach before you come. That's included in any of our offerings. The people that work with us have done Ibogaine themselves. They're going to share their experience here, more about your goals help you navigate the the experience before you even come. You have a couple of sessions with them prior to coming. We have an app, we send you a packing list, how to your diet, how to take care of yourself before you come. You then arrive in Cancun. We have a very nice car service pick you up from the airport. We're about 15 minutes from the airport. You come in a very loving team greets you. Uh, you do a check-in, of course, and maybe you'll have lunch if you come midday. There's a lot of programming on site that is built purposefully for preparing and integrating. And it's like a, I like to say, a buffet of offerings that people can take home with them, especially because Ibogaine creates that window of opportunity, the neuroplasticity. So there's daily massage, there's sound healing, there's Watsu water therapy, there's human design, there's all kinds of work. There's a daily preparation and integration workshop, which I'm very excited about lately because we do offer one-on-one support, but we're finding that group workshops puts the ownership on the individual to do their own work and we have an incredible workbook that we've just published and maybe we'll make public soon. Oh, wow. Sort of like a Mad Lib style. So people, instead of having therapists writing people's integration and aftercare plans, people are doing it at a group level in a workshop setting where they're sharing and it's creating a very healing dynamic of community and vulnerability that in I'm seeing a deeper level of healing. So, so that's been very interesting. 
you know, you'll meet the other guests. I think one thing that's unique, we have aspects of a retreat, of course, but we're not a retreat in the sense that people are all coming at the same time. We're open 365 days a year. So people are coming and going every day. And I think that's really cool because most people have a lot of anxiety and excitement, but they're seeing people on the other side and they're seeing the light in their eyes, hearing about their experiences. And almost there's a peer-to-peer mentorship that happens organically for the people that are just arriving and the people that are going to leave in a couple days. So that's really cool. There's private rooms. There's Everyone has their own room. There's a really great organic, clean meals. Um, you're preparing for Ibogaine, and that depends on what you're coming for. If it's opiates or chemical dependency, you might need a couple extra days. Otherwise, if you're coming more for optimization, spiritual seeking, more of that, or PTSD trauma, you might have your treatment on day three or day four. So it depends, but essentially that's either in the morning or at night, your treatment, depending on the schedule and really depending on what each person wants. We try to, it's different than Western medicine where you're telling our team of, you know, we have about five full-time doctors now, about 15 ACLS certified nurses. And then we have like quantum energy healers and But we're trying to work with you. Each case is very specific. Do you want your treatment at night? Do you want it during the day? Here's the treatment room. Here's, you know, we have a few music playlists you can choose from. We've had people try to (laughs) bring their own. One was a guy from (laughs) the South who wanted only country music. Oh my gosh, hysterical. We let him, but he regretted it later. Yes, I would think so. (laughs) Now we really try to say these are the best, I think, for what you want to bring out in your mind and what you want to heal. So there's the treatment that occurs. And then people have a hard time sleeping that night, but most don't seem to mind. They're journaling a lot. They have so many insights. And the next day they may be, we call it the grace day or the gray day. Some people have a deep cry. Other people feel amazing and on top of the world. By about day two after Ibogaine, most people are feeling really, really great in general. Some people may want or need a booster if they're coming, well, for different reasons, but if they want to go deeper into their psyche, maybe there's certain things they want to look at. A booster is like a two to three hour smaller dosing of Ibogaine with noise-canceling headphones still. What is your flood dose? How long does that last? The flood dose is about, well, it depends how quickly you metabolize the medicine, but it's between 8 to 12 hours in the treatment room, which has you know all the cardiac monitors, and there's always nurses and doctors there. So it's very safe, but you're well isolated from the medical stuff, the noises. You have noise-canceling headphones, eye masks. Different than, let's say, MDMA, where there's two therapists and there's, when you're doing it therapeutically, you can have like conversations and sometimes a therapist is helping you navigate. Is the Ibogaine experience with the mask on and the ear cancellate, the silencing, Are they pretty much in their own journey or is there some therapeutic processing happening in the journey? It's a great question. So for the most part, on heavier doses of Ibogaine, like the initial primary or flood dose, people don't want to speak. It's very internal and 
a part of our process on site is to prepare people for it. So they're working with guides before and they're working with guides afterwards. But during, you don't want to talk. You can't hear yeah, hallucinations. You can't speak well. What we've been doing lately is we do allow a therapeutic coach or therapist to come in towards the second half as the medicine's wearing off and they can either do a guided journey or speak to the person while their mind is so open and help them organize and make sense of, of their experience or help them heal something much deeper that they haven't been able to work through. So we're starting to do that. And we, we can, that's an option with booster doses as well, since it's less of a intense dose and you can speak easier and you have access to your psyche. So it's great to see. And for certain people, it really works well. And if people want that, it's, it's an option. And then you're also working with other medicines, aren't you? Like ketamine. Are you working with 5-MeO or MDMA as well? Or well, you know, we're a medical facility here. We're above ground. We're a U.S. company and a Mexican company. So we're working on getting permission for for that. Okay. And you also mentioned Parkinson's a bit of go, and you mentioned optimization. So are these two new? areas in which somebody would come use Ibogaine for, and what is the research? Yeah, well, we definitely are getting more clients coming for optimization purposes. There's a number of clients right now on site who are coming for focus, purpose. It's why, you know, Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, like Ibogaine, you know, there's a protein in your brain called GDNF. I think it's the only... Yeah, I was just reading about that. Yeah, it's the only natural occurring substance, Iboga or Ibogaine, uh, on the planet that promotes this protein, uh, which is responsible naturally in the body from the ages of, I think, zero to seven for joy, curiosity, purpose, and intrigue with life, which a lot of people lose over the years, right? And so we are seeing more of that. I think that Nolan Williams didn't put this in his study at the vet's study at Stanford. It's not, maybe he'll talk about it later, but he did mention at Psychedelic Science 23 that Ibogaine creates more gray matter in your brain, right? Which is what promotes learning and neuroplasticity, but also that it Benjamin buttons your brain for each single session, 1.3 years. Love that. Which is incredible. And the Stanford study also showed that even at months later, the reduction in anxiety and depression is like 80% or 88%. So it's pretty incredible for optimization. We also offer stem cells if people want that. We have a partnership with a really amazing local doctor who actually was treated by us and was very inspired by the work. And so that's another offering as well. And we can do NAD plus and we have vitamin IVs. So there is a whole optimization group that we're seeing come through that I think is just going to grow. And the Parkinson's, I just was reading about patient D, which was in a study, and I'm not sure what their study was, but received Ibogaine and no symptoms of Parkinson's. Yeah, the tremors seem to go away. We've had a number of clients come, not specifically they didn't have Parkinson's. Specific. I mean, my dad and my grandfather had it, you know. They didn't specifically have Parkinson's. They had 
tremors and it does reduce or eliminate tremors for a set time. I, I, I need to look closer at the research, but it's very interesting. We have a man with us right now. I mean, obviously he's anonymous, but this man came with a cane and he was doing a, a few Ibogaine sessions. He was doing a backflip yesterday and walking with no cane now. So there's a lot more that we can learn. I, I spoke to patient D before he passed away and he said how remarkable this is. And there is the neurogenesis and it can teach us about neurodegenerative disorders that we don't understand. And there's studies in the that are currently being proposed related to this so we can better understand how Ibogaine works and how these brain disorders, these neurodegenerative diseases work. So there's a lot of hope there as well. So you're seeing a lot of um, vets possibly come for brain injury and Ibogaine is being used a lot. What we're hearing about obviously in the U.S. is its use in opioid crisis as well as for veterans and their PTSD. Do you have a lot of clients in that area? We have vets that come, yes, for PTSD and TBI, certainly. It's pretty remarkable. And also suicidality. A lot of these guys have seen horrific things, and that is minimized or eliminated months later. We do see that in follow-up. What excites you the most about this work? Like, It just must be so remarkable to see someone come in with suicidal ideation or these trauma experiences. And I know, I think you mentioned that suicidal ideation is actually a contraindication, potentially. It is. It depends on if it's active or not and the severity. We certainly have treat people that have bouts of it, but we don't have the level of infrastructure, you know, God forbid if something happens, to fully take care of that severe population. So what excites me? Well, I believe foundationally that we are all tabula rasa. We're all a pure mind. The Buddhists talk about it. Every religion talks about it. And I believe that we get programmed here. And I believe if that's true, everyone can be unprogrammed and live in their foundational state of joy and clarity. And so taking that as a thesis, what I love most is seeing the alchemy. I love healing. I love seeing people and myself included in the dark, not believing, hopeless. I mean, I don't love that. I feel for them. And But the change that occurs is magic. It is beyond the human mind. There is something bigger that is working through us all. We get some of the toughest cases. This is not a ketamine clinic where you're coming for an hour. You're coming for hundreds of hours. And the, sometimes people are near death's door even the toughest cases can be transformed and find their own inner innate truth, their own inner healer. They become empowered. They go from, you know, it's a victim mindset to an empowered mindset in a very short amount of time. And it stays, it can stay, you know, obviously you need to make certain changes in your life afterwards. But oftentimes that healing is so deep and quick with this medicine that it's not challenging to make those changes like it would be on your own. And then whole families are transformed. You know, we get so many people, so many family members that come afterwards for other reasons, you know. It's incredible. 
You're really transforming generations. I've interviewed a few people, a couple women who are actually initiated into serving Iboga, but I began, and it's amazing what they're seeing. What is, would you say, one of the most complex cases that you've seen that is just like, oh my God, that was amazing? Okay, one of a couple years ago, we had a fentanyl addict, incredible kid, beautiful heart, but was in and out of rehabs, like 60 or 70 rehabs his whole life, you know, 30 years old now, 35. I mean, he has transformed so much. He now has moved to Cancun and he's working on the team. He went through a program to become a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, he started working, you know, we were very careful, right? Like we need you to do certain things. If you're going to work here, we, we need to make sure that you're not using these things in a harmful way. We have a population this could affect if, if that's the case, but he started working with housekeeping amazing kid, very humble, and worked his way up and now is becoming a coach years later after years of training. And that's incredible to witness on his own. And his whole family has shifted as well. They go from being the problem and the black sheep and everyone's focusing on him to him being the hero and the rest of the family's doing their own healing work now. So that's, and he's helping people every day on site. It's, It's something that's much bigger flowing through this kid and to witness that because he has overdosed and his friends have died and he wouldn't be here. I mean, it's remarkable. So this is not the work of humans. This is is something bigger. And I'm just feel grateful to help be a steward like many other people in this space. So, you know, we're continuing to learn. We don't know everything. I don't think anyone does in this space. There's a lot to learn about how to get the most out of these medicines, how to properly help support and implement, guide people through the experience, what these different medicines can do. There's a lot to learn. And that's the other piece I'm very excited about is the data and the research that we're starting to do. We collect data. Of course, everyone's anonymous, but we, yeah, we're keeping track of different cases, different case studies, and then starting to do some work also in the U.S. with universities and MRIs and things like that. So I'm very excited about where this can go. And, you know, we started to see that in Kentucky and other states that are have opiate abatement funding and are willing to potentially allocate that funding for research because a lot of the traditional methods aren't working. And I think, you know, what we do at Beyond is very interesting. It's both clinical and it's retreat. So you're getting a marriage of both Eastern and and Western because of the cardiac risks, but also because there's a need for deeper holistic work and and some of the things you wouldn't see in traditional energy medicine uh, or in traditional medicine you're seeing because you're using different forms of holistic medicine together. So like, it's just really cool to see the staff. That's the other thing that excites me. The staff, we now have, I don't know, 50 employees or something, 55 employees. They meet every month and we do trauma-informed workshops, but we also do, you know, the staff works with different medicine together to heal because they're, of course, taking on people's stuff and it's arduous. Mm -hmm. Some of the nurses started with us a few years ago. They were on SSRIs themselves, working in traditional ERs, very fast-paced, challenging. A lot of them started microdosing. You know, now they know how to lead cold plunges and breath work and 
and I'm seeing how it's shifted the, this population of people and their own families. One nurse is living in a Buddhist monastery now, and he has the prayer beads he's walking around with. I mean, it's really cool to see how the future of healthcare might and hopefully will shift what we're doing is like a lab for what is i think possible in the u.s and there's challenges i mean you're bringing in a psychedelic medicine into the healthcare system and it's not going to be easy but the way in which people are collaborating from patient to medical team member together as a team versus the more patriarchal model it's really inspiring to to witness and you mentioned, I just want to go back to Kentucky because there was, uh, the attorney general there was looking to allocate $42 million from the, was it a civil case? No, there was a payment from the pharmaceutical company. They promoted specifically to the people of Kentucky, which created a huge addiction issue. And $42 million of that, some of that will get allocated to the research of Ibogaine. Is that true? Or do we not know that yet? We don't know that yet, but essentially what's happened in every state in America, not every state, but most states where people have been impacted, there has been money won from distributors and pharmaceutical companies, Purdue, Johnson & Johnson, and Walgreens. In Kentucky in particular, it was around $900 million. They were we're hoping we'll allocate 5% of that around 40 million, I think you said 42 million, towards Ibogaine research. The rest, of course, would go to more traditional methods like Suboxone and jobs and prevention and things like that. But uh, yeah, there's a number of states that could come after Kentucky, but we're still not sure. Kentucky hasn't voted yet, and there's, there's a few questions there still. Going back to what you said about what excites you, it was interesting. I had a conversation the other day with my daughter. You know, it was like, you know, you don't need psychedelics. And what you were speaking of, the excitement of that return to the self, that inner Buddha nature, Christ consciousness, whatever you want to call it, that somehow earth medicines have the capacity to create that non-dual reality where the self and that true nature, primordial, as you said, who were you before you were born, whatever that is, there's the return to that. It was so funny. My daughter said, well, that's easy for you to say because <laughs> you've used them and you're now here. And I was like, yeah, that's true. And I know sometimes when I interview people and they say like, you don't need psychedelics or even people that are awakened that have reached kind of non-dual states of consciousness and reality who use psychedelics will say like, Psychedelics is an experience. It's not full realization, but most of them have used psychedelics. So it's interesting how there's also the beyond psychedelics. As you were saying, what you're really excited about is the healing and the trauma work, but that's really part of a evolutionary process that goes deeper and deeper because that return to the self, it is through that. It is through that shadow material. It is through sometimes that darkness to even get to the other side. Is that what you see? Well, sort of that you have to know the darkness to embrace the light and that psychedelics are a tool or a vehicle to remind you. It's a remembering, right, of who you are. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you. Beyond all the conditioning. I look at it like all of my conditioning puts a filter over a reality that's here all the time. And the more that filter 
of my conditioning, that veil drops the more I see reality as it truly is, which is the unconditioned, which is the primordial, pre-born self. Speaking of born, you're about to have this baby. How would you say that Ibogaine and psychedelics have informed your motherhood and your relationships, your role as a mother? I think mothering is one of the greatest gifts that I've been given. It's taught me so much about life, patience, love, a deep, unconditional love for children, but also for myself. I am that child, right? Also, the acceptance and the level of psychedelics show you that process, the birth and the death and the the whole thing. And I think that can be applied to mothering as well. I don't know how to really answer it, but I think that psychedelic medicines have shown me how to be in ways my best self. I have to obviously take steps to try and achieve that. Uh, And I'm never going to be perfect, but as a mother, you know, all the basic truths of patience, acceptance, like I said, love, they go hand in hand. How about for you? I think similar, because again, if we're going to parent from our conditioning, we're just going to pass on our conditioning. And so in some ways, I wish I had come to psychedelics earlier in my parenting, because to some degree, I did pass along my conditioning and way of seeing the world. And yet I also trust that life is exactly how it's meant to be. And that the more my conditioning is dropped, but also that essence of self, the deep understanding of who I am, like coming from a place of true authenticity of who I truly am, and then being able to parent from there, it certainly creates more authentic relationships. Doesn't always make them easy or perfect, but there's a deeper ability to be exactly who I am and to hold the things that are difficult. I think my conditioning was probably much more like a not untypical of other Western traditional conditioning of a woman of like how to show up as a mom, have a smile on your face. You're not supposed to have emotions. You're supposed to take care of everything. And I think that that doesn't really serve anybody when we're not authentic. It doesn't mean to have our children be aware of every sadness or grief that we have. But I think ultimately when we can show our own humanity, we're giving our children the opportunity to live in theirs, the full spectrum of life, the joy, the sorrows, the grief, all of it, and to show up as they truly are in the moment that is arising versus I need you to be this for me because that makes me really comfortable. (laughs) It's like when you realize that all we're really here to do is to express the unique nature of who we are, it's all you then want for your children. Yes. Allowing them to be because you allow yourself to be. I feel that like a deep sense of okayness. I'm not performing anymore. I can make mistakes. And my kids see that. And I think that's very valuable. And the, I don't have the reactiveness either that I used to. There's space between my thoughts, of course. It's like a form of liberation. Yes. Yeah. The non-identification always with the thoughts too. Yes. And I was so critical. Yeah, me too. Yeah, the passing of thoughts like a cloud or the weather, you know, it's just some weather that's passing through. It's some rain. It's okay. 
I'm not my thoughts. Yeah, that's very powerful. That's come from work with psychedelics and mindfulness and all the. I don't really know what's done what at this point, but it's working, and I, I just feel a more and more grateful and joyful every year. So amazing. Yeah, I think you know doing it in a grounded way where you take time off and you're integrating and all that is very important. But yes, it's helped me be a better, better mother, better wife, better family member, better, better person. For somebody out there who's suffering and is like, oh my God, I have alcohol use disorder, or I am so depressed and I can't get out of my own way, I have a porn addiction, and they've really tried everything and they really do feel it's this this mind, this patterning with the mind, what would you say to them? What kind of hope would you give them about recovery? I would tell them it's possible. Most people think they are, have the worst case of whatever, and you know a lot of people think that. And I've seen now hundreds of people have very profound transformations. I would invite them to uh, reach out to people that they love and share. You know, they're welcome to to reach out to us at Beyond. It's not for everybody, right? But I think we have a pretty good feel at this point who it can work for and who it won't. And we can have an honest, our team can have an honest conversation about that. But I would say that healing is possible for anyone as long as you have a pulse Mm -hmm. and not to give up. And maybe I think oftentimes when people are at at the darkest, the surrender, that's where the light comes in. Mm -hmm. And so never waste a good breakdown for a breakthrough is what we like to say. So you can do it. You can do it and you can find a little inkling of hope and that can expand into much greater light and awareness. And slowly we can all help each other lift us out of the the darkness. And yeah, I would say you can do it. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. It is so incredible, so needed in the world. I love that you've built this model that really meets a person where they are, that you're using all these modalities, including optimization tools and energy healing, and also added some other medicines for people that need them, like a ketamine or MDMA. Yeah, thank you so much for the work that you're doing in the world. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for sharing about the work that we're all doing here. So I I really appreciate that. And you're welcome to come and visit anytime at Beyond. I'm definitely going to come. I'd love to see it. (laughs) Wonderful. If you enjoyed today's show and want to help build a more beautiful, conscious and loving world, please share this content with friends, family and colleagues. You can follow this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whatever platform you use And I'd really appreciate you taking the time to write a review so that others can find these amazing conversations. And if you'd like to see a video version of the show, you can find me on YouTube. Feel free to reach out and connect with me at thepsychedelicmom.com or message me on Instagram at thepsychedelicmom. And remember, you are the medicine.